ideas on how I should open up a show differently every time, I'm all ears because I'm struggling to not repeat other ways that I've opened this show because I like to do it differently. I've talked about it before, the No Davis show, the gaming one. I say, hello, hello, welcome, welcome, yada, yada, yada. Everybody does that on every podcast, it feels, but... I wanted to do something different for the WatchCast. I can't think of anything, so we're going straight to the WatchCast. I'm your host, Noah Davis, and welcome to the Noah Davis WatchCast, where I talk to you about anything and everything I watched in the past week, or two in this case, because last week I was LASIK. LASIK, why did I... Uh, whatever. I was sick, and my throat hurt, and it sounded like crap, and I can still kind of feel it, so my voice might sound a little different, but we're here, we're in it. We're going to give you the show, and by we, I mean me. So, first up, I watched Men in Black 2. Uh, why, you say? Because my friend watched Men in Black 1, and he said, do you want to watch Men in Black 2? And I said, sure. So, Men in Black 2 doesn't really feel like a movie. It feels as though it's kind of half-assed in a way. I'm all for brevity. That's maybe my favorite thing in the world. If you can cut something down to the nitty-gritty, the good stuff, that's what I want. I don't want fluff. I am anti-fluff. Uh, it's it's why I have a lot of trouble with shonen anime because filler, and you're thinking, oh, just skip the filler. But then in my mind, I'm like, well, I don't want to skip shit. It's like listening to a song and skipping 30 seconds in the middle and being like, yep, this is a good song. Even though I had to skip 30 seconds in the middle, you know, you know what I mean? Or having an album and having to skip three, four tracks because they aren't as good or because they don't really help the album thematically. So that's how I feel when it comes to filler in anime. And that's how I feel when it comes to filler in everything. I just want efficiency. And sometimes there's a place for long drawn out things. You know, if you're Paul Thomas Anderson, okay, draw something out. You know, you've established, you've earned that. You can draw something out. But then, hey, I look at another, you know, other legendary directors. Look at Martin Scorsese. The second he draws something out, which is all the time, I'm out. I'm, I'm not literally falling asleep, but in my brain, figuratively, I'm falling asleep. <laughs> I mean, I could not watch The Irishman. Could not watch it. I would, I would rather watch any other four hour movie any day of the week. I'd rather go back, watch, you know, Lord of the Rings extended editions again. I'd rather watch Hobbit two extended edition again, which I did earlier this year. That was near the start of this podcast, I believe. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter there. 
all I'm saying is there's a time and place for brevity, and apparently Men in Black 2, that was not the time nor place, because it feels as though it's a TV movie that you probably, you know, or you probably, you definitely had to pay movie ticket for, or had to get on DVD, you know, for 20 25 you know, $20, whatever. I forget how much DVDs really were, now that I think about it. Uh, doesn't matter. It's just the fact that it feels cheap. The, the movie itself doesn't feel cheap, but the the runtime, the script, and the, the, the motion of it feels cheap. It feels like it's just trying to get you in and out and without doing anything for you, without changing anything about you, without making you question anything, without really giving you that many laughs either. It's not that funny of a movie, even though it's a comedy action movie, and not that great action. So... I'm actually kind of hesitant to say it's a good movie at all. Uh, it, it's okay. Uh, it makes sense as a sequel, but as a movie by itself in a vacuum, it's not great. It's not, it's cool that it's an hour and 15 and you can, you know, in and out. That's cool. That's great. But it's not great in the fact that, oh, this is a movie that I have to compare to, hey, Men in Black 1, you know? Uh, <laughs> if we're just comparing two to one, two sucks. And if we're just comparing two to movies, it's not great. You know, it, it doesn't do anything fresh. It doesn't really do anything with Will Smith's character. It does something cool with Kay. Uh, you know, that, that, that's cool. But I, I, I don't know. There's just something about it. It's off. It feels off. I'm telling you, just go sit down and watch it. And then in an hour 15, you're going to be thinking, was that a movie? Did I just watch a, a whole movie? Is that right? And, and of course, they do the Hollywood thing of getting Rosario Dawson, who's 12 years younger than Will Smith, and I just will never understand that. I get that the main guy needs to ha have a hot love interest. I get that. I totally get that. I really do. But why has it got to be, like, 12 years difference? Or not, you know, if not more so. I mean, you get Clint Eastwood in a movie, he's got to have ladies that are 20 years younger than him. Uh, you get De Niro in a movie, he's got to have ladies that are 20 years younger. It's just, it's so weird with these movies, especially, I mean, they still do it too. It's not like it's changed that much. Uh, but especially 90s, early 2000s, all these 40-year-old, near 40-year-old or 50-year-old actors would have these women, actresses, girlfriends that are 23 or 22. And, you know, maybe that's realistic. I don't know. But Jesus Christ, it's it's all the time. I mean, the age difference between Will Smith and Rosario Dawson is apparent. Uh, Rosario Dawson looks young and Will Smith looks like he's Will Smith prime Will Smith age, you know, which is not that young. Uh, 30s easily. So, I don't know. Uh, Men in Black 2 is a weird movie. It's weird that I'm talking about it in 2023, yet here I am talking about it. Then I started Netflix's Life on Our Planet. It is a fake-umentary, because eh? eh? it's not a mockumentary, you know? It's not like they're doing anything funny with it in any way, shape, or form. It's a documentary that uses CG to prop up its, you know, its plotline, like, is, is a documentary a plot line? I, I don't know. That's going to make me think. Prop up its subject matter. There we go. That's a little better. A little more nuanced way of saying it. Uh, yeah. And I don't, I don't know if I like it or not. 
I really love the idea of trying to display evolution and life's evolutionary stages on a, a visual, you know, format in a visual format and medium. But it's always weird when you're watching a quote unquote, you know, nature documentary and it's using CG creatures and such. And of course, yeah, they have to. I, I get that. They can't go back in time 500 hundred million years ago. It doesn't matter. But it's always just weird to see that because you're watching a nature documentary for the nature. So when it's CG, it takes away some of the, the flair and the charm. And I'm not sure why, uh, it's probably a totally subjective thing. I'm, I'm sure some other people really love this, but for me, it's, I'm kind of more in it for the natural disaster stuff than the actual animals, just because the natural disaster CG looks fucking fantastic. Whereas the animal CG looks good, but it's going to show its age, you know, within five years, it's not going to take long. CG does not take long to age. Uh, it, I mean, you know, literally within years, somebody like Weta Digital will come out with an amazing CG project and you'll think, oh, wow, then that shit before this looks like, looks, you know, not like crap, but doesn't look as good. Uh, CG and 3D animation age really quickly. So when you're watching something like this, there's something in the back of my mind thinking, oh, this isn't going to look good in 15 years, you know? Uh, say a, a science teacher wants to show this to his class. Yeah, if he shows it to them right now, it'll be cutting edge. But in 15 years, even if the information is completely accurate and it's educational, why, you know, it, people are going to look at it 15 years later and never having seen it and just think, oh, this looks bad. The CG's bad or old or cheap, you know? And it's always weird when you're coming at that perspective while watching a nature documentary. You know, when I see a fictional movie and the CG ages badly, it's, you know, whatever. Okay, CG's bad, doesn't matter. But this, the sole subject is CG. So the entire main character, if you will, you know, the actual animals and stuff, the main character is going to look bad in 10 years. So I don't know. It's really cool. I really like learning evolutionary stages. Those are really cool. All the mass extinctions, plankton being OGs and MVPs, uh, mammals, you know, doing their thing. We just, that's what we do here on earth. But, <laughs> but there's something to be said about nature, quote unquote, nature documentaries that UCG, you know, uh, I, I see the reasoning. I see the point. It's just weird. So next up, I watched a little more of dark side of comedy, which is vices spinoff of dark side of the ring. Uh, dark side of the ring has a awesome, not awesome. Sorry. Well, you know, maybe awesome, just not in the way we really use it these days, but it has a, an element of awe. There we go. <laughs> because all of these dark stories always have this wrapping around them of this theatricality, you know? It's not like, oh, this random guy who did nothing and then you're about to see what it's... No, this guy who literally jumps off top ropes, wears neon outfits, and has the weirdest personality possible also has this dark side. 
So that's Dark Side of the Ring, I think, its strongest point, is that even when it's dark, it's still mind-blowing and astounding because just everything around it almost doesn't make any sense. I mean, kayfabe, heels, faces, there's so many things around the wrestling world that seem to not make sense, yet, you know, that's the wrestling world. I mean, that's, that's what I'm watching, Dark Side of the Ring. That's why I'm watching it. So when you go to Dark Side of Comedy... There's none of that fanfare. There's none of that spark. It's just, hey, this comedian that you thought was really funny, he had a fucked up life, guys. And that's that's about it. That's, there's nothing else to it in a weird way. There's not. It's not as though there's this, I, I'm going to compare it to Dark Side of the Ring because they fucking called it Dark Side of Comedy. I mean, this is their fault. I just wanted to be clear. So it's not as though Dark Side of the Ring is perfect in any way, shape or form, but it's always around these crazy storylines or these, this crazy fictional persona of the person you're learning about and the people around them. Dark side of the comedy. There's never really that. Yeah. That's a persona on stage, but it seems like that's kind of just them more than half the time. That doesn't, it doesn't feel like a persona as much as it seems like an accentuated personality. Whereas wrestling, literally different personas. People change the, you know, how they act and how they portray their wrestling character. Dark Side of Comedy, it doesn't feel as though anyone does anything like that. So you're just watching this sad, miserable person be sad and miserable, which isn't fun. <laughs> I I know a comedy series called Dark Side of Something shouldn't be fun per se, but it makes it less fun to watch. It's kind of harder to consume because if you don't absolutely think one of these comedians is, you know, funny, or if you don't care about them, you're probably not going to care about their stories. Whereas Dark Side of the Ring, you don't have to care about people like, Jake the Snake Roberts. I mean, his wrestling is so crazy, and his work that he put in, I mean, Life Snakes, I mean, we're not even going to talk about some of that stuff, but then you learn his human side, and it's heartbreaking and and gut-wrenching, and there's something just the epitome of human through that because he can present something so crazy in the ring and almost a polar opposite of, you know, his, his inside, his internal battle. Uh, I mean, he calls just specifically Jake, the snake, he calls himself what's left of Jake, the snake Roberts. And there's just something to those stories where these people have these larger than life atmospheres and, made up characters around them where you actually are grounded by their humanity. Dark side of comedy never really does that because most comedians are funny because of their humanity. You know, uh, I, I was watching like Chris Farley. It's, it's, it's like he kind of put himself out there. You could kind of tell he wasn't super happy or super great. Even when you saw him laughing and being excited, I mean, you saw him coked up. Like (laughs) it's not like there was this fakery going on or like like you could see through all of that. Whereas again, dark side of the ring, it's kind of harder to see through all that because they're so bombastic with everything. And I don't know, dark side comedy. It's fine. The production's good, but the subject matter is just, ah, depressing. (laughs) That's a terrible way to just pigeonhole a show, but I can't think of a better way to do it. So 
next up, Alone Season 10. It's been, these next ones are like all reality shows. I've just been on a trash TV vibe. I've just wanted to quit plot lines. I think it's where I started Pluto, and that plot line was so good that I need to just restart. You know, I, I, I need a, a plot wipeout. <laughs> I need to just completely blank my memory on plots. So, Alone Season 10, People Are Alone in the Wilderness, good show, I'd watch it. There's nothing really much to say about it other than it's unique and it's better than the other survival things. And the editing is fun because the editors aren't in ta- working in tandem with the camera crew because the camera crew being the contestants themselves. So that's awesome, honestly. I think that's better for a reality TV show because when editors and camera crews, just when they're simpatico, it's terrible. Especially modern TV, it's terrible. The quick cuts... Uh, the, the, uh, what, what am I trying to say? The, the cuts that are attributing a, an element or scene that might've not been in there. The, when it really happened, I absolutely hate that stuff. Fake reveals when mathematically, you know, who's going to win something yet. They'll be like, Oh, who is it? Who, who is it? And they pan over and they have the music tense music that might as well be made by AI generation. Uh, I'm sorry for all those musical artists who make that music. I really am, but it feels like an AI could have made it. But (laughs) again, I'm really sorry. I don't mean to offend anyone. Uh, But, you know, you have that triumphant music or tense music or hip-hop fusion music. You know, you just have that garbage background music on top of it. And Alone does some of that. But it is distracted or you are distracted by all of that because, you know, it's got an interesting subject matter. I mean, these people are literally starving themselves to death for uh, money. And that's just something to be said about the fact that A, someone would starve themselves for money. B, someone would film it and make a show about it. And C, someone like myself would enjoy it and watch it. Something to be said. I don't know what there is to be said, but something. Next up, Great British Baking Show newest season. Uh, That... You know, speaking of editing, I think it's become more Americanized, and I don't know if they even realize it. I'm not sure if the production crew even realizes it. I doubt the audiences realize it. But that production's getting way more Americanized with the quicker cuts, the choppy edits, the fake outs. They're really leaning into it, and everybody's just sleeping through it, you know? (laughs) They're just sleepwalking into it, and they don't even realize it. Because I remember the first season being very very chill, very relaxed. And it's just, it it still tries to do that, but it's not quite there anymore. It's got that modern sensibility and I don't know, sorry, modern American sensibility. Maybe other countries, reality shows are different. Who knows? That's, I got a pretext or put context on that. So uh, great British Spring show. Good show. Uh, this all reality shit, so I can't really talk about it other than it being like, hey, good show, bad show, editing good, editing bad, uh, cast people good, cast people bad, you know? Uh, if you like Great British Baking Show, you'll probably like this season because they're British people baking. Next up, Squid Game The Challenge. I can't actually talk about this one, but again, it is reality show territory. Uh, I watched the 9 out of 10 episodes, and if it's all presented in a, in a somewhat honest way, obviously producers egg people on and are able to create dramas and situations that might have not happened naturally. It's 
still pretty damn good. It's still really cool to see how far people will screw each other over for four and a half million dollars. There's really, it's almost like a loan, you know, where you put a little money in front of somebody and they just, they're not themselves. You know, you dangle the carrot and the carrot's all they think about. They don't care about the people beside them. They don't care about anything. They just want the carrot and they'll do most anything to get that carrot. So it's really interesting to see, you know, uh, squid game, but quote unquote real life, just the amount of fuckery that goes on or the amount of people that are like, Oh, I'm playing it like this. I'm playing the game or in the amount of people who refuse to play the game, who want to, I'm going to be a human. I'm going to be humble. And then, you know, not make four and a half million dollars, but it's really cool to see just this weird side of reality TV. You know, it's, it's almost like survivor, just good. You know, uh, I will say the editing and the content fluff is terrible. They have so much background information on these contestants that I swear half the episodes don't tell you anything other than background information on contestants and talking head interviews, which I don't think they should have done. I really think they should have included, um, a dramatic element into, let's say the, the, dormitory or whatever. I, I don't know if all the talking heads was worth it because I had to skip through some of it. I'm just, I'm not going to deal with that. <laughs> this is the day and age of Netflix and this is trash TV. So I feel totally okay with skipping through the bullshit. So, uh, the games though, when it gets to the games, absolutely love it. I think that's some quality trash TV right there. Top tier trash. But when it's not on the games, it's fine. It's fine. It's watchable. You know, it's, it's fine. Uh, you know, they establish characters, you know, people, uh, they establish characters that you like and don't like. And of course the editors are doing their thing and the directors are doing their thing where they know what a heel will look like, or they know how a heel should look like. So they make it so that a person looks like a heel or a face, you know, they make it so that a person looks like a face and whether that's a hundred percent accurate to that person or the situation or not, it doesn't matter. It's a reality show, you know, uh, reality with an asterisk and addendum and uh, a pretext and a, <laughs> a preface on the word reality. Uh, yeah, it's a solid reality show. It's hard to judge trash TV like this. I, if people don't know, I call reality television trash TV. So it's hard to judge trash TV like this on an actual scale. I don't think numbers work for trash TV because it's not, as though it's an artistic expression that's being subject, you know, uh, subjected. I don't think that's a word, uh, that you're being subjective about. It is raw, weird situations that you're being subjective about. It's like taking sides in two people you don't know are fighting and you have to take sides. You know, it's hard to pick which one you like or which one you don't like because you're going to think of superficial reasons that might not really even add up yet. You're still going to think that. So trash TV is like that. And the fact that I don't know what to think about it. I mean, it's watchable and it was good. I guess it was, it was really good at times and absolutely boring at others. So I don't know. And that is about it. That's a pretty long one. I got cut off. For this episode of the Noah Davis Watchcast, I will hopefully, hopefully, hopefully see you next Tuesday, not Wednesday, next Tuesday, and not get sick again. And that's about it. I'm your host, Noah Davis, and I'm out of here.